Welcome to the Own Your Time podcast. This is the host, Kyle Marcott, and today we have Jason Yerusi on the show. Jason is an active real estate syndicator and investor. In 2016, he founded Yerusi Holdings, a multifamily investment firm that currently has over 800 units under management. Jason also hosts the Jason and Pilly Project, a YouTube channel and podcast that sets the foundation for building mental fortitude, growing wealth, and improving health by providing actionable steps and avoiding missteps. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me, Kyle. How you doing? Doing pretty well, man. It's good to see you. I would just love just to start with your your story and telling the listeners how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, so I'll give you I'll give you the, the preemptive version. So uh, I moved to New York City um, back pretty much uh, right 2001. Um, I took a different course. I had I got a finance degree, but of course took a different course and uh, worked in a lot of different capacities um, from the arts into restaurants into um, traveling a bunch and started lived in Europe and worked in Europe for two years. When I came back, um, was able to get a construction job and that construction job uh, led me to working at this um, high paced outdoor restaurant and bar. Um, and I was able to grow, grow into a role there where I took that um, bar from it really uh, almost 25 times where its earnings were to start, where its revenues were to start. So it was quite a quite a feat to work at that bar. But I met a lot of good friends. We and from there we transitioned to a couple different other businesses. Um, I opened a brewery and sold a brewery. I opened a, a restaurant with a friend in New York City. We we moved in a lot of different directions. I helped open a number of other restaurants, and it was a great path. Um, met my wife when I was working at that bar. Um, she moved back to Hawaii and we ended up uh, meeting in California and coming back to New York City. And right around that time, Hurricane Sandy happened. And uh, my dad has a niche construction business that ha really just focuses on flood zones. I mean, that's the main part of the building and moving home. So we came out, my brother who was working with me at the time and myself um, came out to help the family business. And it was a great experience. It was really awesome. But I always knew that I didn't want to have a job where I was directly aligned to have to do to get right. So where if I'm not working or I'm not putting it, putting in that stuff, that that was the only way I was going to get paid and things we could shut off. So as we were doing that, working very long hours, trying to help as many people as possible, get back in their homes, get things remediated, get things back to meet and be compliant. Um, we were looking at other avenues and real estate um, was something that kept popping up in our minds. We had talked about it before, but we took that step and we took what we thought was the logical step at the time where my um, wife, she got a real estate license and I, we started flipping homes, started doing wholesaling, just started doing a lot of active work. But mind you, we were so busy with everything else we're doing, we basically just added and stacked more jobs on top. And at the same time, we were having our first kid. So it was like, just went from as busy as we could be to 10 times busier altogether. And we said, okay, we're doing good, but we're missing something. And it took Peely, my wife, to find a friend who was investing out of state into small multifamilies. We looked at that and we said, huh, well, what is it about that that could be attractive to us? And so we found investments out there that had to be completely rehabbed, found a team that could do the rehab while we were here in New Jersey. Um, they were in the Midwest. And from there, picked up properties and we're, we're rehabbing and putting them back online and put them on as rentals. And all of a sudden, we just saw that. And that, that just was the, the click that occurred that we said, ooh, interesting. Look at this. And at that point, we, it occurred that if we wanted to take this to the next level, it was going to be a hard task to go around and acquire 20, 50, two families, three families, and four families. It just was going to be daunting. And then you'd be scattered everywhere, and it would just be a logistical nightmare. So it said, well, what could you do in comparison to this? And large multifamily came up. 
and that was the moment that I said, well, that's the direction we need to go. If we can do this and have scalability with a four family or three family or two family, why can't we do this with a 20 unit, a 50 unit, a hundred unit? So dove all into large multifamily, learning everything I could, just trying to understand the dynamics and different facets from it, surrounding myself with like-minded people that were doing it very well, just so I could encompass myself one one to, to pass that mindset hurdle but two just to know the steps are in play because most of the times we know all the big steps but it's those little steps that you want to just tweak so you can refine your process sold all the small properties we had and started really diving in for large properties and we went from you know the three and the four units to closing our first 94 unit um back in uh, may of uh, may of 2017. Wow, man, that's a lot of lot of that's a lot of awesome, awesome parts of that story. The one thing that I did notice quite a bit towards the end there was that the secret to you kind of starting to really take this to the next level was understanding delegation and having teams do things for you. And that's been one of the biggest struggles so far in my um, entrepreneurial journey has been leadership. So I'd love if you could just tell you know the listeners a couple of the biggest things about managing other people, leading other people, and how you've seen that be successful in your business. Yeah, at one point I had um, as many as 250 people um, for the one outside place we were running. It was a large place, all, all different languages, all different styles, all different education. You find that where, where leadership grows is not you dictating the course. You provide the parameters and empower people to use their resources. And where many leaders I find, and I've been very guilty of this myself, is that we assume we can do it best. We assume we're going to get it done quickest, so we will go do it. And although it will get done, will hamper the entire process and will cut the head off of the operation because it'll be, we will only be able to juggle so many plates before one falls. Well, it's that point of just empowering people, allowing them to do the task. And if they come to you with an idea, hey, we should do this. My response was always, if I'd liked it was, that's a good idea. I'm not going to do that, but I will allow you to go out there and put forth the work and if it, it's something that you know, is fruitful, we'll go back and now put the power behind it. And allowing people to choose their opportunity, choose their focus and gain activity, you start getting teammates that can really help the process because they're, they're also not hampered by every single time instead of saying, okay, I'm thinking about doing this, but I got to go ask Jason. Well, Jason's now giving me permission to go out there and succeed to allow everyone else to succeed. So you get more thoughts instead of having people that are task takers. Wow, that's a good point. Like removing yourself as the bottleneck. I feel like that's definitely, yeah, dude, I'm, that's quite a bit. We could talk about that for hours. The other thing I did want to ask you is you mentioned you started a brewery. You did some restaurant stuff, some construction things. What are some of the main through lines through that whole process of all those different industries that you can take away as far as an entrepreneur and advice that you could give the listeners? Well, you always have to look at what you want, right? Um, what do you want from this business? Why are you starting this business? You know, is it a passion play? Is it cash flow? Is it to build to sell? Um, and where are you fitting in that puzzle? And if you're going to take on and bring in partners, where is this partnership? So one mistake that I, I made in the past is that we weren't clear with the partnership up front because we were friends. And what you find is that when there's not clarity in the beginning, and even though it's even as tough as that decision can be, it leads to I won't um, disagreement or altercation because one may have assumed something and the other may have assumed something else. And then you'll have a, a massive disagreement and it can, it can really change the course of how the business will go that could have been solved beginning. Also, another thing you'll see in partnerships through friends is that, hey, you and your buddy or, or your girlfriend or your, your wife, you'll get into this because you'll assume that, okay, we'll just go be partners in this, but you both have the same strengths. 
So you're basically now coming to the table, both doing strong in the same areas, but still weak where you really need those partnerships. So it's identifying what you want, identifying why you're doing this, and really making sure you're clear on the path and the members who are going to be involved, how everyone is going to handle those roles and what are the, the standards that we're going to set for ourselves. Wow. I mean, I ask these questions because they're things I'm struggling with too. So these answers are like just blowing me away and I'm sure they're blowing the, the listeners away too. The friendship partnership aspect has been um, an issue for sure. And I think that sometimes like you're right, you have to partner for weaknesses, not just partnering with people that you genuinely like enjoy hanging out with. Cause at times it does have to be business and you have to be clear. Um, so I really love that tip for sure. Mm-hmm. Pivoting to your- Yeah, I lost a friend over it like 13, 14 years ago. And it's just one of those things where it's not worth friendship, right? To, to have this and, and it's just not worth it, right? And so you, if, and it probably, can't say it would have been resolved by the conversation, but it definitely would have set um, parameters and made this an easier flow if we just did that hard, uncomfortable talk beforehand. Yeah, pain now for the, the pleasure later for sure. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great advice. So to pivot a little bit to your fitness, because you're obviously a very fit guy and you talk about fitness quite a bit. I also saw you speak live in Denver um, about a year ago at the Raising Money Summit where you talked quite a bit about how fitness can actually identify your brand quite a bit. So I'd love to just for you to tell the listeners about your philosophy as far as you know your brand and also with fitness in general. So it's just aligning your message with what you do, right? And so the, the story of a resume no longer exists. People are going to know you by how they find you on social media. And if you're going to go out there and do, you fill in the blank syndication, right? So we're talking syndication and that that's a long play. It's not something where you're in it for six months. These could be five year olds, 10 year olds, and you're looking to be a safe harbor for people to, to help uh, use their investments that they've worked hard for. And you come off and, you know, maybe you have a picture with you in a beer helmet or you, you have these activities that don't align, or there's a lot that, you know, one day you're into, um, you know, Amazon drop shipping, and then you're into, you know, e-commerce and then you're into, you know, you're making a perfume brand and then, and now um, you're looking at Airbnb and then now you're talking syndication. Well, you're not creating certainty in your brands. And when I run long distances, the part with this is that just when you get into this mindset that nothing's going to happen quickly. When you get into these apartment buildings, you don't make one change and the entire dynamic changes. It's a lot of small things that come up to contend with that get you to the end. And with that in mind, it's now the marathon approach, the marathon mindset of saying, Okay, it's just one foot after enough, another, one foot after another. Um, I was talking to some coach clients yesterday, and they were just stuck. And the thing that was sticking to them is that they were just so focused on the ends. Um, but you can't get anywhere close to the end if you don't think of what's the first step I need to take or the next logical step. It's now looking at your process, looking at your fitness. And where that goes with fitness is that, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay, so you're going to go out there. And, and try and crush yourself the first day, you know, um, you know, I don't diet, like eat half the calories you were and you fall off right away. Right. Cause you didn't create a, something that could be accomplished instead of saying, okay, I'm not going to make myself so sore. I can't walk tomorrow. And I'm not going to just completely try and drastically um, alter what I'm doing today, where it's just so foreign, like a, like a new year's Eve resolution where, where I'm just automatically have no chance of succeeding. And instead of doing that, you're going to go forward and take the steps to say, okay, what's a plan that I can accomplish. And what's that first logical step I need to do to get there. 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, so it seems like fitness is more than just fitness. It's also kind of translating to success in other areas. So what is the main thing that you've seen other than just the, what you've just mentioned about taking your time and seeing the small changes? What are some other things that you've seen your fitness give you benefits in other areas? Well, a, a fit body really puts with a fit mind and, and back and forth and you have to train one or the other. If you're likely to give up easily within your workouts or within, you know, things that come up, it's going to cross over the other way, right? So, so if you're going to give up easily and allow yourself the outs and, and allow yourself to constantly negotiate with yourself, well, that's going to carry through into your life, right? So instead of saying, and if you're doing this for legacy, well, well what's the good if you can't be around long enough to, to, to accomplish your mission to help other people? So we all owe it to ourselves to, to eat better, sleep better, live better. And that's just across the board. And when we can do that, just little things. And where most people stop is that they, it just, it seems so over-accomplishing because on social media, there's all these guys with, you know, six pack abs or all these girls, you know, in, in bikinis just rolling around and, and that's, it's so foreign. Right. But that's, that's maybe the after or something that's done up with an app, right? It's not the real life. It's that people can get better daily. It's just doing little things. I mean, it's really the little things that make you better. Um, there's not these massive transformations that happen um, within a week. You know, it's, it's months and months. But if you're going to lose wh why these diet shows fail so much is that it's such a radical transformation that they, they, can't, they can't keep up on that lifestyle. They have to find where the groove is, right? It's the people that say, okay, I'm going to slowly change my life for the better. That's where you see now you've created a lifestyle. You haven't just dieted or, or did, did a fad. Yeah, that's a great point. And that totally does um, transfer over to real estate, especially. But let's pivot to real estate. And I want to ask about your, your current portfolio and your current strategy in real estate. How many properties do you guys have? And what are you currently implementing on those properties? So the first 94 unit we sold um, over in January. Uh, right now, we are across... Um, five properties with two more closing shortly. Um, we're still implementing the same procedures as before. Uh, we are being cognizant of the areas and just the potential for uh, rent bumps moving into where would be market um, very strong. I mean, that's been the one surprise is that um, right now we've not had a occupancy problem. We've actually had a unit problem where I have no units available to lease, um, which is a, a good and bad thing, right? So for that, that's been the one part right here. Um, we've limited the CapEx projects we've been working on um, for the simple reason is that we want to stay cash strong, stay cash available for, for what's foreseeing what's coming here, um, potentially or still to come, um, and just continue to keep the narrative moving with tenants. And I, I think um, where this is a working, we want this to be a great community for them to live and vice versa. Um, and that will help everyone be better. And so to keep a constant conversation with them, to understand how we can help them, that allows us to really pivot accordingly as need be. Yeah. So let's talk about that first deal as well. Cause I think that that's always the biggest and hardest one to do is that first one. So can you walk us through the story of that deal and kind of where it was and how you actually managed to, uh, to take it down? Sure. Um, so it was in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we found it through a property manager. It was owned by, um, it was six kids, I believe, but they were in their 50s and 60s because their dad had passed away who was in his 90s. Um, and they had a thousand single family homes along with this. And this was the uh, redhead stepchild. They thought this was causing all the problems, causing all the, all the chaos for their life. Um, when in fact, it just was, they were running it completely haphazardly. Um, so they had a leasing person who couldn't collect rent. 
um, you know, in an office so that they were having problems with collections. Um, they had uh, no pet fees and they had a bunch of pets in the, in the apartment buildings. Um, they had two laundry rooms, both were, you know, one was down, the other one wasn't in, uh, was in great shape and there was no laundry rooms that serviced any of the surrounding 600 units and market, um, the rents were basically a hundred plus dollars under market just compared to at the same property. If you walked across the street, nothing different. And they, had uh it was it's an area where you had two or three percent vacancy across the board trending and they concurrently were um had six or seven vacancies that were basically ready to lease but the lady had was just doing nothing right she was actually the leasing person was actually watching tv watching dog the mountain hunter in there when we came in the door so we negotiated that down we actually got it for a million off of asking um basically by remembering them and going back to them six months later. So our first offer was a million down um, from their offer and they countered just at their asking price, but time changes everything. So we went back months later, um, saw it was still around. It wasn't marketed, but it was just still out there and hadn't traded, um, gave them a number, another offer that was 50,000 higher than our other offer. And they basically had come down 500, 600,000 on their asking price at that point. And then we negotiated it from there and got to the finish line basically just by saying, guys, um, we're not trying to beat you up. Here's our underwriting. This is where we're at. This is what we have to be for our investors. Um, it just, this is where we need to be. And that got us done. Uh, it was right there, closed it back, as I said, in May of 2017. Um, and it was a great project. We actually held that. It was supposed to be a seven year hold. Uh, and we ended up selling that uh, January this year because the market had changed so much that it gave us a lot of opportunities to be able to exit that property because of really the path of progress that had come down there that wasn't available there prior to this. Yeah, and speaking about a lot of changes that have happened, what is your kind of outlook on the whole COVID-19 and purchasing things in the future? Where are you kind of seeing the market going um, from now forward? So we're making sure the opportunity cash flows, we have reserves and we have long-term debt. Uh, so the, both of these were pre-COVID deals that we went back and were able to negotiate discounts and, open, and negotiate certainly moving into them. Um, and we also have addendums uh, if things rapidly change uh, between now and closing. Um, so we're not taking on very, very CapEx-centric projects. We're also not taking on projects that are, um, that are very high in vacancies. And we're just keeping on reading the projects we go into them. Um, we're always aggressively patient, meaning that I'm not going to push a deal to get done. Um, but we're constantly just looking at what opportunities are out there. And then just looking at where our properties and our, and our markets are in positioning of, you know, um, how they're doing on, on unemployment, how they're doing on the whole COVID, you know, and so in just cases and as much as we can, because news is everywhere, right? Trying to keep a focus on what we do and see what fits and adjust accordingly. Yeah, news is everywhere, man. Just staying internally focused is probably the best thing that we can all do right now. Um, so let me ask you the last question that I ask every guest, which is, what is one piece of advice that you would give for a 20-something that's starting in business or real estate? You're ready to take action. And right, so action may not get you the right result, but any action will always beat inaction. So you have to take a step forward to learn better questions to ask. Most people don't do anything you don't know the best questions yet. And that's how you get the best answer to move forward by without there and moving in that path. And I could be finding other people to talk to, finding a mentor, um, you know, going on sites and, and reading as much as you can, digging in and just taking action today. Yeah. So where can people reach you online if they want to get in touch with you? 
Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, they can go over to yerusiholdings.com. It's our website. Uh, or find me on Instagram at Jason Yerusi. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. You've been a wealth of knowledge, and I just really appreciate your time today. Absolutely, man. Thank you.